Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats and our feed for new episodes, which are released on Mondays, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or right there at nationalreview.com. Click on the podcasts tab and you'll find uh, Political Beats and all the other fine assorted National Review podcasts there for your listening pleasure. We invite you to listen, enjoy, and leave reviews if you would. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My co-host, as always, standing by, Jeff Blair. Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here, and I just want to uh, open with a uh, some words of wisdom by the current artist we'll be covering today. Folks, don't ever take any <laughs> from anybody. <laughs> you can follow Jeff on Twitter, too, at Esoteric CD. And we welcome in our guest today. Uh, he is a political editor at townhall.com. He is a Fox News contributor. He is also the co-author of the excellent book, End of Discussion. You can find him on Twitter, at Guy P. Benson, because at Guy Benson, he just won't give up that handle. At Guy P. Benson is where to find our guest, Guy Benson. Guy, thank you for jumping on and joining us on Political Beats. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for letting me have an opportunity to talk with you guys about probably my favorite musical artist of all time, Billy Joel. That's what we do. We want to hear the passion come through. As Guy mentioned, our artist today, chosen by our guest Guy Benson, is a New York City native, maybe the quintessential New York City rocker through the rock and roll era. 33, 33 top 40 hits in his career, even though he stopped making pop music 25 years ago. 33 top 40 hits, all written by Billy Joel. Uh, 150 million records sold worldwide. Uh, you might know him as the Piano Man. You may have even heard that song once or twice during the course of your life. Our uh, guest, or not our guest, but our artist today is Billy Joel. And Guy, we turn the floor to you to talk a bit about Billy Joel. How did you get into Billy Joel? Why do you like his music so much? Why should everybody else care about the work of Billy Joel? Well, so I was born overseas in the Middle East and then moved at a very young age after a brief stint in the New York area to Southeast Asia and moved back to the U.S. Uh, to the New York, New Jersey area when I was in fourth grade. And I didn't really know an enormous amount about American culture. It just wasn't something I sort of had to catch up on sports and all sorts of things. Television, pop culture was sort of uh, a mystery to me that I had to slowly start to unravel and unpack. And sort of the lagging indicator was popular music. It just wasn't something that I spent a lot of time thinking about or listening to. And that sort of started to change a little bit, aside from you know knowing all the popular hits that were on the radio. One of my best friends in the world uh, from high school, we did sports broadcasting together for many years. He is now uh, a professional sports broadcaster in the National Hockey League. Uh, he introduced me in eighth grade to the music of Billy Joel, someone who I had not really heard of before. And this was sort of right as music was starting to move toward the, you know, buy single songs, iTunes type of model, where you would buy CDs back then, but we've moved further and more rapidly away from buying entire albums and listening to the albums all the way through. But that was not how Dan Duva, my friend, 
listen to music. He had a ton of original vinyl records of Billy Joel and also Bruce Springsteen. I have to give him a shout-out being from New Jersey. It's state law that I like him. <laughs> and so we ended up listening uh, on car rides and, and just hanging out in his room and preparing for sports broadcasts, listening to large amounts um, of Billy Joel's music and ended up going to my first concert ever in my life in, gosh, it would have been, I believe, the year 2000. So it was sophomore year of high school. Mm -hmm. uh, we drove down to Philadelphia and saw Billy Joel and Elton John in their face-to-face -face tour. And uh, talk about a first concert. <laughs> Billy <laughs> Joel and Elton John for like three and a half hours, no intermission. It was just a tour de force. It was incredible. I I didn't realize how many songs of Elton John's I knew until I was there uh, hearing him perform them. And I think that concert and Billy Joel was such a showman and so good and so funny. I think I just sort of, that solidified it for me. And, and just more broadly speaking, aside from the personal narrative behind it, I listen to a lot of top 40 music still, and I think it's all very catchy, and I've got my hot jams that I listen to, and I'll buy songs here or there on iTunes. But there really is no comparison between the vast majority of today's hit songs and hit, hit artists, I think, when it comes to the intricacy and diversity of the lyrics and the subject matter of the songs that are churned out for popular consumption. I think... Billy Joel is a brilliant lyricist. Uh, I'm a total sucker for piano-heavy music, so mm -hmm. that was an obvious fit. And I also think he's got a very pure, excellent voice. And so you add those three together, and clearly he has an ear for hit-making, because as you said, he really had a, a heyday for a certain number of years in the 70s and 80s and just cranked out an astonishing number of hits. And to this day, I will bring friends to Billy Joel concerts who are not necessarily even Billy Joel fans, and song after song, they will look at me and they'll be, oh my God, I know this song. This is a great song. I had no idea how many hits Billy Joel had. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he plays them. And he, he knows what the people want, and he gives us what we want, and hats off to him because his catalog is incredible. Billy Joel is kind of like Hall of All Notes. We had an episode episode on hollow notes not too long ago and it was the same thing like you know i had a friend of mine we'd sit around and we try to stump each other by by running through all the hits that they had and, and you finally realized that you could go on for about an hour because they had so many hits billy joel is exactly the same way and uh it's it's funny i have uh, a journey with him that is kind of represents my trip from being a musical snob to being somebody who's who's more more willing to be more open-minded and, and and understand that great music is great music you know when i first encountered billy joel as a child of course i loved him I mean, my dad was a new yorker he's from western new york uh, so he you know he's from he's not from the city himself but you know he always loved billy joel and we knew all the stuff we had the, you know, the greatest hits that two cd greatest hits volume one and two mm -hmm. was one of the early cds of the cd era it was a mainstay in everybody's collection and i knew it backwards and forwards even though that first disc was full of these 
quote unquote longer songs that uh, that weren't quite as appealing to me as you know the second disc, which had all of his famous hits. Like, oh yeah, tell her about it. I know that. So I knew all of those songs, and and particularly the stuff that comes from the MTV and video era, Uptown Girl. I still remember Christy Brinkley dancing with all the guys from the garage, <laughs> uh, and Billy Joel for the Uptown Girl video. And uh, we didn't start the fire. God, I hate to admit it, but we didn't start the fire. Played a pivotal role in my development as a trivia maven and a historian and a history kitty when it came out when I was nine years old. And it's kind of one of those things that's embarrassing to talk about now. Like, yeah, you can start the fire meant a lot to me. Yeah, unfortunately it did. I had to say that it did. And of course, high school comes around, you, you get into the Beatles, you get into classic rock, and then you start getting into more esoteric and our artsy stuff like punk and post-punk and prog rock. And then, of course, you realize you're not supposed to like Billy Joel. You're supposed to hate <laughs> some of this stuff. And in fact, there are some of his more popular songs I find particularly earlier in his career and at the end of his career. The hits that come from those parts of his career I really have soured upon and I just don't like anymore. But I, I have... You realized, you know, and sometimes it takes somebody coming on a show like this that forced you to go back and reevaluate the discography. You discover how great this guy is. And listen, if his goal in life was to be a guy who wrote great Paul McCartney-like songs, man, there are few worse things to aim for in music than being Paul McCartney-like. I think, and I would submit, and we'll get into this when we talk about the songs, that you know, you cannot pretend to like Paul McCartney's uh, music with the Beatles or during his solo career, which is now very hip to praise. It's like, oh yeah, people, you know, downed on McCartney back during the days when he was still in that sort of post-Beatles competition with John Lennon, but now it's hip to appreciate his music all over again. I'm sorry, you cannot tell me that you like Paul McCartney's music, but you don't like Billy Joel's. You're just saying that you're a snob and that you're shuttering out the quality of his music, the quality of his songwriting, the quality of his lyrics, frankly, for that matter, and uh, privileging style and and, you know, sort of cultural poses above objective merit. This man could rattle off a hit song in his sleep. He also knew how to present it well. I will actually go to bat hard for everything he did pretty much between 1975 and 1982. I'm really glad that we're doing this show because if nothing else, it's kind of forced me to confront my old biases, my old smugness, and give, you know, appropriate recognition of the fact that this one was one of the great pop songwriters of all time. And uh, for me, you know, I... Go ahead, go ahead, guy. I, I was going to say, just in response to that, I'm not a musical maven, so I didn't even realize that I was supposed to be embarrassed by Billy Joel <laughs> until I read a piece, I think, by Kyle Smith, just ripping Billy Joel's critics and all the snobbery of his critics, and I read it, and I was sort of pumping my fist and saying, yeah, get him, and then I realized, oh... I didn't even realize this was a thing. Um, <laughs> no, it's a thing. Mean, how can you not like Billy Joel? <laughs> 
But yeah, much like Jeff, I you know I grew up Billy Joel on MTV. I knew everything from uh, uh, Innocent Man, and then uh, my friend and I had the Stormfront album on vinyl, and we played the heck out of that. Uh, and then at some point, yeah, Billy Joel's not cool. Hall and Oates, as, as Jeff mentioned, not cool. You have to kind of revisit. And for me, my wife is a huge Billy Joel fan, and she had uh, uh, three or four disc set of him doing a uh, it was a greatest hits and i think like a storytelling disc and we listened to that in the car driving back and forth and you start to appreciate some of the craft and some of the songwriting and the songs themselves that played a huge role in getting me back and saying you know he's an excellent song his ear for melody is 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 unmatched i mean billy joel is an excellent excellent songwriter and you don't get 33 top 40 hits accidentally uh his first hit on the very first album guys as a 22 year old he had bounced around some failed bands and uh, had his uh, his debut come out, uh, signed a terrible contract with Family Productions, which would haunt him for years. And even that very first album, Cold Spring Harbor, was mastered incorrectly, so his voice was higher and faster than it should be. There's a story about Billy Joel hearing it for the first time and, and breaking the record against the wall and walking out of the studio. He disliked it so much. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. Why are we not opening with a discussion of his hard rock power duo, Attila? <laughs> <laughs> because frankly, I haven't heard a whole lot of Attila. Have you? No, I, I actually have. I've heard the entire album. For those who don't know, this is like one of the funny things about Billy Joel. Like, you know, before he found his feet, he actually, this is kind of in the age of Iron Butterfly and Inagata Davida. Yeah. He got together with another guy, and they, they, you know, there's power trios guitar, bass, drums. Well, this was a power duo playing the most absurdly stupid heavy metal. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, a listening challenge. You can find the entire album on YouTube. I double dog dare you to sit through all all 45 minutes of the Attila album. Uh, and the cover, of course, is classically regrettable early 70s schlock where he's standing there. He's dressed basically like a Mongol hordes tribesman <laughs> wearing like, you know, furs and, you know, some sort of bizarre helmet. And he's also got like a mustache, too. He looks like like basically like a Jewish Long Island guy dressed up like a Mongol. <laughs> it's the stupidest music you've ever heard. And there's no reason for me to bring it up other than it's one of the most hilarious footnotes to the entire Billy Joel story, one that he is pretty humorous about himself. Uh, Cold Spring Harbor, of course, was his first real album. And uh, this is, again, I have to say that the early Billy Joel career, his first three albums are the ones that I, I have very little time for. Uh, this is the first one. There's a, there's one song on this was a hit, which is uh, She's Got Away. It wasn't even really a hit until it was redone much, much later for a live album called Songs in the Attic, which we'll get to. And I know Guy is a big fan of that. It's a much better version. I uh, This to me is Billy Joel trying to be Elton John, but he doesn't have the songs yet. He doesn't have the concepts yet. I got very little time for this. But, of course, you know, if, if you guys want to disagree with me, that's what this show is about. No, there's. Cold Spring Harbor is not. Cold Spring Harbor is not my favorite album. I tend to agree with you. I did. She's got a way is has a nice pacing to it, and I'm glad that you brought things from the attic version because that's just a fantastic, beautiful rendition that is much more familiar to his concert-going crowd because he basically replicates that performance live uh, as opposed to that initial studio version. Yeah, and, and uh, 
Tomorrow is Today is one uh, song I'll mention from Cold Spring Harbor. It's a decent ballad, uh, some like almost mock gospel sounds. It's just Billy and the Piano Only. Uh, I think it's one of the better songs from the album. The lyrics apparently from a suicide note that Billy had wrote uh, after, uh, well, attempting suicide. And uh, the other reason I mentioned Attila Jeff is because he stole his bandmate's uh, wife, uh, who would then inspire many of his best songs from the 70s. So that's how we, that's why we mentioned Attila, I guess. Yes, yes. But, yeah, it's, yeah. His, his wife was actually a very important part of it. But yes. then again, his wife also led to him retaining his wife's brother as his <laughs> manager, who ended up ripping <laughs> him bad. off terribly. You mentioned Elton John, Jeff, as a Cold Spring Harbor touch, uh, touchstone. I think Elton John comes far more through on Piano Band, which is uh, Billy Joel's second album. And I do want to point out, I think, an awful, awful, awful album cover awful album cover of Piano He looks Man. like he's possessed by a demon. It's like Billy Joel halfway through his transition into werewolf <laughs> I don't I know mean, who greenlit that. But... Exactly. His, his eyes, what is he wearing? Contact lenses or something? It's really <laughs> bizarre. But the, the album itself is is a clear step forward and I hear a lot of Elton John, especially you know Tumbleweed Connection uh, era Elton John. Traveling Prayer, the very first uh, song on the album is, is quite good. It's got this loping country beat. It's got a banjo solo. Hello, Uh, Dolly Parton would cover it, uh, win a Grammy for it, in fact, in 1999, uh, later on. Uh, uh, Stop in Nevada, a song later, also has a very Elton Johnness to us. The, there's a the, the very soft, loud dynamic between the verses and choruses, kind of a, a Jimmy Webb type story to it, too, about a woman leaving her man, which would be, not be a, a, a place very well mined by Billy Joel through his career. Usually it's it's the man done wrong or the man heartbroken uh, first person. This this is from the outside, Stop in Nevada. Uh, and certainly you see, I think, some of the beginnings of his his character sketches, and some of the, you know, epic kind of suites of music that would develop during these first few albums, all present there on Piano Man. I won't mention the the uh, the title track, which I, perhaps I've heard more than any other song ever made at, at this point. But uh, yeah, clear step forward in Piano Man, and I think uh, Elton John influence is coming through quite a bit. I would say that Piano Man, I mean, you can't not mention that song. It's the most iconic song. It's the song that he always plays at the encore, the song that everyone sings along to, the song that Practically anyone who's ever been to any fraternity or sorority event in history knows, uh, because everyone just sings it. Uh, one song I want to give a slight shout-out to from that album is uh, The Ballad of Billy the Kid, which is not a great song, but there's elements of it that I really do enjoy. Um, particularly, I, I like when he writes um, sort of parts of the song, like bridges of his songs, where he could just play the hell out of the piano. Mm-hmm. And there are a few breaks in the lyrics of Ballad of Billy the Kid where he just is unleashed on the keyboard, unleashed on the piano, and showcases that talent, which I sort of sometimes get goosebumps listening to. So that's a song that I think is fun and interesting, and again, so different from sort of the, the treacle that 
we get about, you know, the same themes over and over again. Every hit song in the top 40 playlist. This is like a cool, weird Western adventure song. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I personally think it's fun. Judge said, string him up for what it did. The cowboys and their kin, like the sea, came pouring in to watch the hanging of Billy the Kid. Okay, I, I admit, I hate this album with a passion. <laughs> and I don't hate this album with a passion because every song on it is bad. I Travel in Prayer, I agree with Scott. That's the best song on this record. Mm -hmm. And I agree with Guy that the Ballad of Billy the Kid, especially the instrumental moments, those are great. And those are indeed the ones that do seem most reminiscent of Tumbleweed Connection. Tumbleweed Connection, I'm a big Elton John fan. Yeah, uh, I, I think Tumbleweed Connection is his best album. It's kind of his, it's also ironically enough the one that his casual fans know the least about because it has no hits on it, and 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 the the dependency uh, of Piano Man on that uh, the album is pretty clear. Uh, but I I just hate the hit singles on this album. <laughs> I hate Piano Man. I hate Piano Man with a passion that could only be born of a guy who had to play it at a piano bar. Oh man! Like every single night, which I did when I was moonlighting, uh, when I was a college student in Baltimore at at a piano bar called Howl at the Moon. Uh, it was a dueling pianos kind of a joint, and uh, yes, I had I to love, play piano. I, man. Say, I, I love Howl at the Moon. When I when I was in college, I went to Howl at the Moon at like most Thursdays because it was Cougar Night. Uh, <laughs> yeah. at the and you Howl were the, the guy who requested Piano Man. God, God. <laughs> I actually I wouldn't request it because I knew one of the piano players who said that they almost had to play it required, which drove him yeah. crazy. Um, so they, they would play it anyway. So I got to listen to it and be happy without being that guy who requested <laughs> it. I actually I would normally end up seeing if they could play like newer stuff that was not designed for the piano and see what they would do with it because they're very very talented. The people yeah. at and, and also so, the, North, the Northwestern fight song as well. <laughs> so like my wife agrees like, my wife famously every time we're out driving on vacation we put on the classic rock radio station piano man comes on she nearly has an aneurysm she's like ah she thinks it's the most insipid hit song of the 70s i don't think she can be right because you know there's there's still brewer and shipley and stuff like that oh, yeah. but uh She's close. I think she's close. And the other one I want to specifically single out for criticism as opposed to praise is Captain Jack. Yes, please. I, I know Scott agrees with me on this. Captain Jack, <laughs> I hate that song. Uh, the lyrical theme, there are people who will defend it like, oh, yeah, see, it's a portrait of life in Long Island on the early 70s, all these loser kids who are like, you know, sitting at home doing nothing, posing down at the pub, getting high on heroin, blah, blah, blah. Listen, you can take your lyrical themes on Captain Jack. What I think Billy, Show, Billy Joel should be most offended by is that melody, which is one note. His entire <laughs> friggin' verse is just him singing da 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 da. He never changes the note, and you have to <laughs> sit and listen to every second of it. I am so sick of Captain Jack. I know it's. I, 
I know it's unfair to hold this against him, but I feel like it's those two songs that biased me against Billy mm. Joel so so nakedly and so irrationally for so very long. And it's a pleasure to point out that from this moment onward, really, he would get Things so get better. much better. <laughs> so much yeah. better. But of course, those two songs are treated as like, you know, the core of his his legend by so many other fans. So, you know, who am I to say? You know, this takes us, of course, to his second album. You know, so he had a really bad record deal. For Cold Spring Harbor, he signed uh, basically signed away his entire career to a guy who couldn't even you know put his record album out, mm-hmm. pitched at the right key. Uh, he fled essentially to Los Angeles, performing under an assumed name at like you know rinky dink piano bars, which is kind of where the theme from Piano Man came from. Um, and so the next several albums uh, were recorded when he was kind of in exile on the West Coast in Los Angeles, and the one that really kind of contains most of that is his third album street life serenade this is one this is probably his most unknown album outside of cold spring harbor certain free certainly from his mainstream career there's one song on this that people know which is the entertainer which i think is a really good song especially with that rick wakeman synth it reminds me of Mannheim steamroller a little too much because of the rick wakeman synth but i still like it all right I like it. I like it. I like the fact that it has this weirdly uncharacteristically prog rock thing going through it with the synths. I think this is an okay album. It's yeah. not a great album. Other than, you know, the entertainer, I think that the things that that, that stand out the most on this are Los Angelinos. Yeah. And I also really like uh, Souvenir, which is a very quiet yeah. little like, you know, two minute piano ballad on the second half of it. There's also no question to me, though, that uh, the biggest stuff for Billy Joel was right around the corner from this album when he wasn't there yet. Uh, I'll say real quickly before. No. Go, go ahead, Guy. So on Jack is fine. I think that Piano Man, if you didn't have to play it endlessly and you didn't have it seared as some sort of triggering memory into your brain, you would like it a lot more than you do. (laughs) And what's ironic is I do not like The Entertainer. It is probably my least favorite Billy Joel song. It's the song that I go to the bathroom. (laughs) I go to the bathroom at the concert when he starts playing. I'm like, all right, this is my cue. Um, From Street Life Serenade, I want to give a shout-out to... uh, a song that would never get any airtime or any play on the radio. There's no lyrics. Uh, Root Beer Rag is just pure piano talent, and I mm. love it. Um, and that's the song that is sort of my sleeper, my personal sleeper hit that would probably not draw much acclaim or fandom generally, but I think it's great. Coming back to my love of just listening to that man play the piano.
I don't like Captain Jack because, like, like Jeff had to play, literally play it on the piano, uh, piano man. Uh, I would work the night and overnight shift at my college radio station, and every drunk in the area would call wanting to hear Captain Jack. So I, I don't need to hear that ever again. From Streetlight Serenade, Jeff's right. I, I think the songs are a little uneven. It was a fairly quick follow-up to Piano Man to cash in or try to capitalize on that success. And some of the songs feel a little unfinished or a little messy. I think the first two songs are the best songs in the album, Streetlight Serenaders. Uh, the intro sounds like a classical music piece, but... And uh, the lyrics are a bit weak, though, full of, I don't want to say, half-hearted metaphors. Los Angelinos, which Jeff mentioned, too, is a, is a little better. Electric piano, uh, funky groove to it, but sort of bashing on the phony L.A. culture out there. Everyone comes from somewhere else. They're living in exile out there. You could tell he was, by this point, virtually already done with the California L.A. lifestyle. That would change on the very next album. Um there's some filler on here. I think Weekend Song and Last of the Big Time Spenders is, is, is filler material. And so uneven, uh, but promising. And this return to New York would uh, inspire a whole lot of what would happen on the fourth album, Turnstiles, which I know Guy is a huge fan of Turnstiles. And this is a marriage of kind of the singer-songwriter roots that Billy Joel had on the first couple of albums, married to um, a little bit more at times the rough, gruff New York City music that we'd hear more of down the line. Uh, Say Goodbye to Hollywood, one of the songs that everyone knows from this album, very obviously inspired by the Phil Spector Wall of Sound production. Decent song, but like a few others, Summer Highland Falls, generally, if you talk to Billy Joel fans, is one of those ones that come up in conversation as being a song that you, you need to hear, right? It, it's one of Billy's best ballads uh, about Highland Falls, New York, where he and his family lived. Um, and there's this uh, very much a very happy, very sad, I don't want to say bipolar necessarily, right? But but so much of Billy's life, and if you read about his life, there's very, very happy moments, very, very sad moments. And right in Summer Highland Falls, oh, there's... He says it's, it's either sadness uh, or euphoria, the famous lyric. Yep, right in Summer Highland Falls. And it's right there, and it's a theme that would kind of repeat, I think, through his career. So we'll argue and we'll compromise and realize that nothing's ever changed. For all our mutual experience, our separate are the same Now we are forced to recognize our inhumanity Our reason coexists with our insanity and Though we choose between reality and madness It's either sadness or euphoria Prelude and Angry Young Man Je or not Jeff, but uh, Guy mentioned how much he enjoys Billy Joel's piano playing. Man, goes into Prelude. That rapid-fire, hammered piano riff uh, right at the start of the song. Got about 90 seconds worth of, of instrumental before Angry Young Man kicks in. And uh, Miami 2017, which was somewhat forgotten until 9-11, um, until uh, because it, it's a song about the, the destruction of New York City by a like a supernatural kind of force. And it was a little underappreciated, and, and then it, he pulled it out, of course, post-9-11, which took on even greater meaning, and it's, it's really... I think been elevated in terms of fandom of people who like it a lot. It, it really is one of his better, really satisfying rockers. It starts with piano and, and moves into a full band performance. Miami 2017 is a is a really good song. 
People didn't buy this album, though. It flopped a bit, just 122 on the charts. And so the success from Piano Man was, was, was fleeting, it would seem, for now, for Billy Joel. I want to let Guy have the last word on this album, because he's the one who actually tipped me to it, although he doesn't know it. Um, <laughs> what happened, of course, is that Scott told me, hey, you know, one of Guy's favorite albums is Turnstiles. And, I, of course, that made me go back and listen to it. It's an album I'd already listened to once or twice, but I hadn't really given it the attention and the time it deserves. And then I came back to it over the last several days. And I have to say, this is a fantastic record. This, to me, feels like Billy Joel's answer to an album that, at that point, might have been two and a half years old called The Wild, the Innocent, and the E Street Shuffle. That's Bruce Springsteen's second record, uh, which is sort of Springsteen's sort of all-encompassing tribute to the Jersey Shore and to New York City. It's very much kind of a conceptual album about everything New York and New Jersey and what it is to be a you know like a young teenager you know or a twenty something guy living in that era you know all these street life stories. Well, Billy Joel has a somewhat more sophisticated vibe, of course, because he always had that piano-based Elton John approach. So he he comes at it from a different angle. But this is one of the most tightly focused albums that just says New York City, <laughs> Long Island, New North Jersey. This is an album about a place and about a region. You know, every even in the names, you know, say goodbye to Hollywood, which is, of course, Be My Baby by any other name. I love that song. I think that's actually the first Billy Joel song that I truly love in his discography. It's the first moment where I'm like, all right, this guy can write a pop song. He's not writing a hit song yet. This is not a hit. All right. This is never a hit, but it's just a really great, well-focused song. You guys have already said Summer Highland Falls is a beautiful song. Um Angry Young Man kind of bothers me a little bit, but the prelude is so powerful and so kind of, you know, mesmerizing and incisive mm-hmm. that I, it gets away with kind of, in my opinion, being a bit of a flabby song. Uh, but yeah, Miami 2017, which ironically enough was just last year. You know, he's writing this as like an ultra futuristic song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we all had to move to Miami, you know, because New York went out of business. And ironically, now people are saying that Miami is the place that will be underwater and that, you know, New York City is doing wonderfully now. So it's very funny how the, how, how the tables have turned. If you were writing that these days, you would probably have done it the other way. New York City 2017, seeing the lights go out in Miami. Um, those are all great songs. And in particular, New York State of Mind is a song that I I have never loved as much as you know true New Yorkers love, um, but I think it's just an incredibly impressively written melody and a series of chord changes, and it also kind of makes you realize how flexible Billy Joel's voice used to be. Mm-hmm. We all have this kind of understanding of the, the Billy Joel voice. You know, it's the, it's the voice that you heard in all the radio hits, like Uptown Girl and like A Matter of Trust and We Didn't Start the Fire and, you know, all of the songs, you know, My Life or whatever. That's his sort of, you know, normal singing tenor. And then you hear him sing a song like New York State of Mind and you can listen to that song and never twig on to the fact unless you knew in advance that, that that's Billy Joel singing. He sounds so different tonally he sounds in a couple of other songs that he does throughout his various albums you realize he actually is a pretty gifted mimic he can change the timbre and the tone the pitch of his voice to sound very different from his natural singing style and new york state of mind is a classic example i mean that to me was the clearest indication that he was going to eventually do a duet with ray charles someday (laughs) on baby grant because he sounds as you know shockingly close to a white guy can sound 
to Ray Charles, even though he's you know a guy who normally sings in a much more snotty and nasal tenor voice. It's a really interesting way to, to kind of put that song across. It's really soulful. This is a great album. I think it's probably his first great album, and it begins this run of albums that from 1976 all the way to, to 1982 where I, you know, I have to disagree with my younger self. Where the, these are all great records. I can't fault any of them. But I want to turn this over to Guy because I know this is one of his favorites. Well, I, you were mentioning New York State of Mind, and I would just add that that is a song that also mentions the failing New York Times by name. <laughs> uh, which is uh, fun. Uh, so I love this album in so many ways, and part of it, so with all respect to my friends and family and loved ones who live in California, I do not care for California. I like visiting there, and then I want to get the hell out. And the first song, Say, Say Goodbye to Hollywood, is literally about getting the hell out of California. And then the here, final here. song on that, on that side of the album is New York's State of Mind, which is exactly... And I'm flying back east. I'm like, all right, I'm going to the East Coast. This is, these are my people. This is where I belong. And New York State of Mind really is just a, uh, a lovely song that sort of just speaks to some of, the, some of the feelings that I used to get like when I would fly home from college. And I loved Chicago. I went to school in Chicago. But I'd fly back to the New York area, and I would put on my iPod, New York State of Mind, as I was heading home. Seen all the movie stars. Their fancy cars and their limousines Been high in the Rockies Under the Evergreens I know what I'm needing And I don't want to waste more time I'm in a New York state of mind so easy living day by day out of touch with the rhythm and blues um, Summer Island Falls, I know you said it's almost becoming a cliche among Billy Joel fans to say this is an underappreciated song, but it is, and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, a quiet little song uh, that starts the second half of the album is called song that I only sort of forced myself to like because my brother's name is James. Um, and I would listen to it, and I think it's sort of cute and quick. Um, and then the last two songs that I'll mention, you've both already mentioned uh, Prelude, uh, An Angry Young Man. That song has extra significance to me personally, uh, calling back to my buddy Dan Duba, uh, who he and I uh, we're sports broadcasters together. I mentioned he now he's the play-by-play man for the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, the new expansion franchise out there. And we loved the prelude of this song and the, the pace of it and the intensity of it so much that opening song of all of our sports broadcasts that we did together. And when that first, like, bomb, when that first really heavy note hit, that was when we would start talking. So the piano would start then the bomb would happen, and then it would be from Ridgewood High School, blah, blah, blah. Um, so there's, there's just that personal history that it, it, it evokes so many memories um, whenever I hear it.
that the lyrics to that song itself are sort of, I don't know, a little underwhelming. Um, they don't they don't speak to me or my life experience, but that's, you know, that's fine. Uh, it's really, that's about the piano music. And then Miami 2017 was a song that I fell in love with before 9-11, before it sort of made this resurgence because of the obvious um, context. And there is a great version of that song on Songs from the Attic, which is all live, and it's a song played in New York where he, you know, he's going around, he's talking about various parts of the city, and at one point he name-checks the Yankees. I'm a Yankees fan, and you just hear the crowd roar <laughs> in the background. These are all the Yankee fans making themselves heard. And it is just, I think, I, I, maybe it was Jeff who, who used the word satisfying as a rock song. This is a song that I think is vastly underrated um, and terrific and, like, weirdly dystopian that became very relevant and poignant after 9-11. He played it in that, that concert at Madison Square Garden where he performed with Springsteen. Who else, who else was there? But he played that song and, you know, there wasn't a dry eye in the house because of the context and the, sort of the connotations from those lyrics. So, I mean, you, you just look at the playlist or this, um, the, the track list from this record and I would, it's eight songs, I would listen to the entire record all the way through, never skipping a song, but even if I had to choose uh, songs that I genuinely like, it's like six out of eight of them. That's, that's a very high batting average. Yeah, I'm just going to say it's kind of depressing that, you know, I grew up in Washington, D.C., in the suburbs. Nobody's ever written a song about Washington, D.C. <laughs> as sort of moving or iconic as uh, Miami 2017 or New York State of Mind. Uh, it's not the kind of town that people write songs about. <laughs> <laughs> it's Political Beat. Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, Guy Benson with us this week. A political editor, townhall.com, Fox News contributor, co-author of End of Discussion. And we talk about his very favorite musical artist, Billy Joel this week on the program. That brings us to, I, I think, his best album, uh, The Stranger. Uh, George Martin was going to produce this album, but he insisted on bringing in uh, outside musicians, and Billy said, no, nah, I want to use my band. We're tight. We know what we're doing. I want to use my band. Martin said, eh, nah. So Phil Ramone comes in and produces, would, would start this just giant string of success. This is a virtual greatest hits album uh, as an album. There are six songs yep. from The Stranger yep. on The Greatest Hits, Volume 1, and you can see, it's not hard to see why. Look, they took some of the, uh, I don't want to say extraneous uh, notes. Everything's streamlined. Everything's big, sweeping melodies. Billy Joel knows how to write a, a melody. Bursts out of the speakers with moving out. The very first song on the album, that kind of rough guitar sound that would move its way through Move it out, and uh, you know his, his narrative songwriting, right? Move it out, uh, talking about the the lower middle class, and you know why are you working so hard if you're just going to buy a, a Cadillac? Why are you working so hard if all you get is you know is that what you get for your money? Uh, the Stranger is one of my favorite Billy Joel songs. I think one of his best vocal performances too, from a growl in the verses to, to a falsetto uh, toward the end of the song, that whistling at the beginning. Billy was trying to tell uh, Phil Ramone what he he wanted this in some sort of wind instrument, and Ramone said, "Just whistle it," and he did, and it worked perfectly. Great. 
Vienna is, uh, is uh, again, a, a Billy Joel song that's kind of grown in stature through the years. Uh, pace of life over there is quite different. Slow down, you move too fast. There's an accordion solo, which unless you're listening to, you know, Weird Al Yankovic, you don't hear a lot of those through, uh, through rock and roll music. Um, I don't want to talk about every single song on the album to leave some for you guys, but, I mean, Only the Good Die Young is just a relentlessly catchy song. That acoustic guitar through the entire track, this relentless beat, little B3 organ in there, I think, as well. Um, had a little controversy in it, Billy trying to um, deflower a young Catholic girl, as he is prone to point out he, he didn't succeed uh, at the end of the song. But there is just so much. I didn't even mention scenes from an Italian restaurant. Someone else can talk about that. I think it's it's uh, one of my favorite of his big, sweeping, epic songs. The Stranger is a hugely successful and hugely outstanding, just an outstanding album for Billy Joel. So, uh, Moving Out, Anthony's song uh, is just a, a classic, gritty Billy Joel song. It's, uh, this, is the, this is the song that's really uh, speaks to Northern Jersey. So, I grew up in uh, Bergen County, so fourth grade through high school, Bergen County, New Jersey, uh, the northeastern corner of the state of New Jersey, just outside New York, and the county seat is Hackensack, and, you know, he Hackensack, act, 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 gets a mention in the song, and, you know, you're all excited, because, oh, my God, that's where we're from. We get burgers in Hackensack. Um, the Stranger, it's not my favorite song, not because I have any problem with it. I think the whistling is cool. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a clever song. I think that the, uh, some of the lyrics are a little bit uh, creepy in terms of forcing you to grapple with, uh, secrets that you that you don't even fully admit to yourself there are mm-hmm. there are occasionally billy joel lyrics where you have to really you hear them and you sing along with them and you're like oh that hits a little close to home <laughs> um you know just the way you are is a song that uh is a love song that people really enjoy it's not necessarily my favorite scenes from an italian restaurant is one of these songs that goes on forever and you're glad that it does it's three different songs really mm-hmm. uh in the course of of one song and and they're all so different um i think my favorite song within the song would be the ballad of brenda and eddie yes mine which too is the story of sort of these, these high school sweethearts who um fall in love and then fall out of love and you sort of don't have a successful marriage but mm-hmm. uh they talk about nostalgia and trying to recapture some of the magic of youth, and it's sort of gone. Um, I think it's catchy and, and sad uh, at the same time. Vienna, I would put in a, I would classify that in a similar category to um, Summer Highland Falls in terms of a very beautiful uh, piano-forward song that is soft and extremely well-crafted um, and can be moving. And then... Only the Good Die Young uh, may be my favorite Billy Joel song. It's tough, but it's, it's top three easily. This is the song that I request from bands at weddings, <laughs> from, from indentured servants at Howl at the Moon, um, you know, from, 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 people, from people who have an ability to put on a Billy Joel song where I've had a couple 
a couple of uh, glasses of uh, maybe a bottle of red, a bottle of white, um, and I'm ready to dance because it, it takes it takes a full bottle of each to get me ready to dance as a very uptight, waspy white person. Um, and 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 what what better to do as an uptight, waspy white person than to dance to Billy Joel? And uh, only the good guy young um, is sort of just a deeply satisfying, uh, happy. Yeah, like I, I don't. I'm not gonna endorse the you know the lyric of trying to get you know this girl in high school to sleep with you or whatever uh but it's so much fun it's a crowd pleaser it always has been it always will be Darling, only the good die young. Whoa, 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 whoa. I tell you, only the good die young. Only the good die young. You got a nice white dress and a party on your confirmation. And uh, if I'm in the mood, if I'm in the mood to um, listen to an upbeat song that I want to sing along loudly to, uh, <laughs> this one. This one's right up there. I mean, listen, The Stranger is obviously Billy Joel's most uh, well-regarded album, I think you could say. Generally, the critical consensus holds this to be his best. Uh, I, therefore, have to find a way to criticize it because what would this show be uh, without at least one of us being contrarian? It's kind of hard to do, though. What can I say? I can say that just the way you are, well, Joel's instincts were uh, correct. He wanted to leave it off the album, yeah. and he should have. I don't care if it won a Grammy. I think it's sappy schlock, uh, which is actually – unusual for a lot of Joel's big hit singles. A lot of Joel's big hit singles I really like. Mm -hmm. I don't actually have to say, like, oh, yeah, that was really popular, but it sucks. You know, his album tracks are better. Most of his singles are great. Just the Way You Are is not. It's the opposite of the other song on this album that I love, which is She's Always a Woman, hmm. um, which is a song that is weird. If you listen to the lyrics, they're almost anti-romantic. They're 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 unsentimental in the extreme. She he it's you know people always you know say like, oh Billy Joel was just ripping off Bob Dylan for just like a woman. I don't care if that was the inspiration. This is a very different take on that that kind of an angle, uh, particularly in terms of the music, which I just think is beautiful. I love Billy Joel's arpeggios when he plays the piano on the song. This is of course one of those that I had to know how to play, uh, and I played it well and I sang it well. It's easy to sing his songs. They're always the cast in that very easy <laughs> mid tenor range. Uh, but always the women who asked me to play it didn't seem to understand that Billy Joel is saying very, very bad things about this woman. That she, she's uh, <laughs> cynical and she's manipulative. She'll take everything she can get from you, but she's always a woman to me. And they always this remember the ending of the chorus and they think, oh, so romantic. Joel was going for something a little bit more complex with that song, and I really love it. Um, as for criticism, Get It Right for the First Time is not a very good song. I don't really care for Everybody Has a Dream. But beyond that, this is a great album. I mean, scenes from an Italian restaurant, I think of it as, you know, if, if it's a three-part song, I say, well, it's a two out of three. That middle section, which is kind of the more slow, you know, strings, and it has kind of a almost a, 
uh, a weird Dixieland jazz kind of a vibe going on. That does very little for me. But I love it when it goes into the Charlie Brown theme song, with the ballad of <laughs> Brenda and Eddie, because it sounds like the Peanuts theme when he starts doing his left-hand ostinato. And you just almost want to see Linus and Pig Pen walking across the street. <laughs> and then, boom, now it goes into the ballad of Brenda and Eddie. It's a beautiful song. It's probably his greatest sort of purely narrative piece. I think is notable because that's the first time that Billy Joel tried to write an explicitly pop hit. Mm -hmm. That's the first song of his entire career where it's three minutes and 30 seconds. It's geared towards radio play. It's meant to be a single and it succeeded as a single. You're going to see him really exploring that space on his next several albums. The Stranger is Billy Joel's sort of most critically beloved album, but it's never been my favorite, not because it's bad, because I think he actually did significantly better work coming right up next. And so The Stranger was a gigantic success and uh, he comes back with 52nd street an album that um boy i had mentioned made this point in an email to get you guys uh, for a lot of his career you know billy joel kind of puts on a, a a mask not like a stranger mask but a you know a mask for each album uh he was uh, a, a pop almost a pop songwriter for the stranger on 52nd street it's it's, it's a little more jazzy it's a little more sophisticated than some of the earlier writings. Uh, the songs aren't quite as obvious, I think, as they roll out. I don't like 52nd Street as much as I do like The Stranger, but there are some high points. Certainly the big hits, Big Shot, and, and My Life. I want to point out My Life. Man, is it is it the quintessential 70s pop song? And if not, it's got to be close on a list, right? It just sounds like the 70s. Uh, Peter Cetera is doing background vocals on My Life. He, I think the piano line on My Life is one of... Billy Joel's very best songs. That was a huge, huge success. It's um, McCartney, man. It's all about yeah, Paul McCartney. Yeah. That song is one of the most McCartney-esque like, middle eights that I've ever heard. The part where he's like, I never, never said, said you had to offer me a yeah. second chance. And then it's like you get those nagging background vocals that sound just like you know John Lennon and Paul McCartney saying, I never said yep. you had to. That's a, <laughs> as Beatlesque as any Beatles song ever was during their later period. It's one of the reasons I love it.
Yeah, and Big Shot, of course, huge, huge hit as well. I do enjoy Big Shot, too. It's got that kind of swing beat during the chorus, uh, and then the pace accelerates. Uh, there's, there's some good movement, uh, you know, in, in that song. Of the, of the album tracks, there's not a ton that stand out to me. I like Stiletto, a slashing staccato piano opening to hear kind of Billy Joel show off. Uh, on the piano song about a manipulative female who was slashy with her stiletto, figuratively, of course, not not literally. Uh, and I'll mention Half a Mile as well. It's a fun, up-tempo, upbeat song, saxophone, hand claps in the chorus. Um, again, kind of that working class thing. He's talking about a place where everyone meets up a half a mile from home, you know, a bar, a nightclub. It's got a real R&B feel to it. Uh, so I, I like Half a Mile as well. So 52nd Street for me is, I don't want to say it's even a step down from The Stranger. It's just different from The Stranger. Uh, and, and I know Jeff loves it. Uh, Guy, 52nd Street, your take. Yeah, I mean, you got to love Big Shot. Um, it's a, it's funny. It's a funny song hmm. where you're just scolding this asshole, basically. Um, and it's, it's biting. I also think there's that part of the chorus that is so irresistibly catchy where it's like, well, oh, 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 you just you start tapping your foot and you're sort of whistling or humming <laughs> along about it. It's so good. Uh, My Life is, I think, probably the most, maybe the most famous song on the album. Uh, it's fine. Um, you know, I, I like it. I don't think there are too many Billy Joel fans who don't. Um, yes, uh, Stiletto has that great beginning. And he's, he's He's doing the two. I just don't imagine. I can't imagine how someone can do two very different things as if each hand has its own brain and mm. its own job. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's the the intro before he starts singing. And I think the first lyrics are: "She cuts you once, she cuts you twice, and still you believe." And it's and it's sort of a it's a more beat you over the head version of this is a bad woman uh, <laughs> sort of with. Excuse me, making reference to She's Always a Woman, mm-hmm. which is wrapped up in the veneer of a love song and a happy song and a romantic song. This one, you see, he's singing sort of about the same object of manipulative hate, but it's just much more obvious. She cuts you once, she cuts you twice. Probably my personal highlight. 
for me, um, the 50 Second Seed is probably my favorite Billy Joel album. And, and I, I think it, it's the moment that he became a massive pop songwriter, which, again, is one of these things that it's hard to realize because you grow up thinking of Billy Joel as this great hit maker, as you know, Scott opened the show by pointing out 33 top 40 hits. Um, but his earlier ones were kind of more like lengthy piano ballads that somehow managed to get their way into the charts, basically on the back of, of Joel being a really good songwriter and, mm. and having some pretty compelling chops. But here he's actually, you know, doing you know, the first time he did it might have been on Moving Out, as I said earlier. But, you know, on this album, he's really making that big grab for the Paul McCartney ass brass ring. He's writing you know, very concise very tight pop songs and it's just no better example of that than the way he opens it is with Big Shot I love Big Shot it's first of all the hardest rocking thing that he ever did even on Glass Houses which is sort of nominally his rock album there's nothing more kind of like heavy than the opening salvo of Big Shot which sounds like it could have been a Boston song in a way <laughs> da, 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 bow, bow. that's a that's very much an yeah. arena rock kind of an opening anthem uh, but then yeah. he, he leans into his New York snottiness with those lyrics you know you, well, you went uptown riding in your limousine with your fine Park Avenue clothes and you had was it the Dom Perignon in your hand and a coke spoon up your nose yeah. very much like leaning into the lower class for Versus upper class snot uh, dynamic that really defined you know New York City certainly in the 70s and even in, in the modern era. Of course, the the rumor is that it was written about Bianca Jagger, mm-hmm. um, who who you know, certainly a fitting fitting uh, <laughs> a target for a song like that. But yeah, he, he sings it with such humor. As guy points out, everybody knows the part, the third chorus where he goes, "Well, you had to be a big shot, big shot." <laughs> Exactly, like like he's like some Italian mook from like you know, Staten Island. Ah, who do you think you're talking to here? You know, and it's just so funny. It's funny, and yet the anger is totally real too. No, 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 no! You had to be a big shot, did you? You had to open up your mouth. You had to be a big shot, did you? All your friends were so knocked out. You had to have the last word last night. So much fun. I talked earlier, I interrupted Scott to talk about my life, which is, again, the other like big, massive pop smash on this record. And it is very much in that smoother, more McCartney-esque mode. Um, you know, as I said, that middle eight, every time it comes on the radio, this is one of those songs that is, it seems to be in universal play in Chicago when we drive around uh, or even in like when we're vacationing in various parts of the country. Every sort of 70s rock radio station plays my life on heavy rotation. And, uh, you know, we also, we, we groan when Piano Man comes on, my wife and I, but we always keep the, the station tuned in when my life does because we just love that middle eight, which is his. Yeah, again, as 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 brilliant a Paul McCartney chord change as Paul McCartney has ever written or would hope to write, with the exception of one song coming up on the next album in Billy Joel's career that I think even tops that. But it's not just the big hits on this album that I like. I love Zanzibar, um, which is this sort of – it's very much the most jazzy thing. You know, the cover of this album is Billy Joel posing with a trumpet. You know, <laughs> when I, you, you kind of have to laugh. You know, Billy Joel, noted trumpet. I was like, yeah, buddy, you and Miles Davis, right? You know, he, he's obviously he's obviously trying to sort of like adopt, you know, like, yeah, kind of a cool midtown Manhattan jazz scene thing. 
But it's really on Zanzibar that that becomes valid because, you know, that, that's got that really great solo from Freddie Hubbard yep. on trumpet. And I mm-hmm. think it's, he also plays the flugelhorn on it or something like that. Um, and it's just a really kind of a beautiful, intoxicating sort of, you know, smooth song that just goes runs through you. And then when, you, when you're done with it, you're like, hey, wow, that was wonderful. And you go back and you play it again. But there's another really great one on the second half of this record. That I, nobody think, I feel like I just, just to jump in, I, like, there's something about Zanzibar that makes me very much want to have a cocktail. Like I, yes! I want to be drinking a cocktail and listening to that song. <laughs> See, yeah, you're right. That's exactly right. It's, it's so sophisticated. Like you want, it, it's a dirty cocktail. There's a really good olive there. You know, like yes, this it probably cost you twenty dollars because you know you're in Midtown Manhattan. But you know, you feel like yeah, you exactly. are, uh, you're you're really taking in the New York life when you listen to that song. I want to say one other song here. I think is really worth singling out for praise, and that's "Until the Night," which is really the last song on the record. There's a little the title track is kind of like a little epilogue, um, but "Until the Night" is sort of the climax of Fifty Second Street as an album, and it's very much like a Phil Spector Righteous Brothers. Med- I think actually the Righteous Brothers ended up covering it later on, like in the in the early '80s. A uh, lot of people sort of like say, "God, ah, this is you know too pompous. This is Billy Joel getting a little ridiculous." I love that song. <laughs> that song is his attempt to do kind of like his own sort of overwrought version of you've lost that love and feeling or something like that. And I just think it comes off magically. The chorus is build and build and build. And by the time you're at the end of the song with you know, the strings coming in and these just enormous keyboard, these enormous piano major keys, it's a really powerful construction. And it's one of his least appreciated songs. And it's, you know, the reason why I think this is his best album. The first half has all the hits. The second half has Stiletto, which Scott talked about, I think is really good too. And it ends with probably his least appreciated song until the night. I love 52nd Street. And I think this may have been his peak. Political Beats, presentation of National Review at Political underscore Beats on Twitter. I'm Scott Bertram. He's Jeff Blair and Guy Benson with us at Guy P. Benson on Twitter. We're talking Billy Joel. No one mentioned uh, Honesty from 52nd Street, which uh, uh, kind of leads us to Glass Houses, which was Billy Joel's response boldly and directly to those who kind of called him a schmaltzy uh, hitmaker. Just the way you are, and she's always a woman, and honesty. Billy Joel said, I can rock too, I'll show you. And this is his. This is a as close to a big rock record as you'll see from Billy Joel. A uh, little new wavy stuff in there. You may be right. Is such a clear to me like a Rolling Stones send up or homage, depending on how you want to put yourself in Billy Joel's frame of mind. But there's you know the the guitar licks to me scream Keith and, and Ronnie Wood. You know the the Some Girls era sound of the Rolling Stones. Liberty DeVito, who I'm sure we'll talk about later, the, the drummer who was with Billy Joel for such a long time. He's really good. He's tremendous on You May Be Right. Glass Houses has so many great arrangements, so many great melodies. Billy Joel never wanted to bury the melody. It's always front and center. And on Glass Houses, that's true. Sometimes a Fantasy is one of my favorite Billy Joel tracks. It's about phone sex. Long-distance phone sex. Not uh, not the only... Boy, if you if you have like four minutes to kill one day, go to YouTube and look up a song from the Village People. And it's called uh, it's called Sex Over the Phone. It's a horrific song with one of the worst videos you'll ever see. So that's my recommendation for for uh, for another phone sex song. Wow, sounds sounds amazing. Yeah, uh, so sometimes a fantasy. This paranoid kind of high strung melody, uh, power chord during the chorus. I I, I really enjoy 
that song from Glass Houses. rock and roll to me is kind of the uh, what the uh, the entertainer uh, almost refreshed a bit he, he's still upset a bit at the record industry telling him how he should be and even after he's had all this success uh sleeping with the television on is one of the album tracks here uh, i want to uh, draw some attention to um and glass houses boy I, I actually i still have glass houses actually on lp uh it's uh, it's in the collection it's it's his most rocking record and still spun off just a ton of hits and uh and glass houses is 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 a really good one the only problem with glass houses is that it has two sides because side one is perfect there isn't a bad song on it you you may be right sometimes a fantasy don't ask me why still rock and roll and then there's this this last song on that side called all for lana which is a really underappreciated album track Another pretty pretty hard rocker that I that I really like, and uh, again, it's probably one of the, the hardcore Billy Joel fans I already all know, and they're like, yeah, of course that's one of his great songs. <laughs> I came back to it recently and was shocked at how great it was. So you know, I'm I'm the guy who's catching up on this. It's the second half of that album. It's just a little bit anonymous, in my opinion. Nothing on it. It's bad, but uh, it doesn't stand out as much as it could. Um, but one thing I want to single out on this album, you got, everybody knows the big hits on this, but I really want to praise Don't Ask Me Why, which is in some ways more one of the most mm. uncharacteristic songs on Glass Houses because it's not a rock song. It is the smoothest, most perfect, most magical Paul McCartney-esque number that Billy Joel ever wrote. I love this song. I consider it among his five greatest numbers. And people might think that's a little strange because it's just such a pleasant, smooth pop song that kind of like rolls in and it rolls out and doesn't demand too much of you. I'm telling you, listen to the chord progressions. Mm -hmm. Listen to the chord changes on that song. How sort of second nature, sixth sense they are when he goes into, you know, you know, don't ask for favors, don't talk to strangers, don't ask me why. It's just such a beautiful, natural progression. It feels like he came in t- it came to him in a dream. He rolled out of bed thinking it because there's nothing about it that feels forced in any way. I think that's his finest ever pure pop song. And it's one of those songs that is so easy to listen to that I think it really gets underappreciated because people don't kind of grasp the, the technical genius that was required to come up with that chord progression. I love Don't Ask Me Why. You can say the human heart is only make-believe I am only fighting fire with fire But you are still the victim of the accidents you lead Sure as I'm a victim of design Yeah, yeah, you're all the servants in your new hotel Baby. 
terms of, uh, I love Glass Houses. Love, love, love this album. Um, Stan, you're right. It's the it's the first side of it. Um, you may be right. Is just impossibly catchy, and I I catch myself playing air drums to this one, <laughs> where so it's sort of you know you may be right. Ba 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 You just you just sing along to it. Might just be a lunatic you're looking for. I agree. I'm glad that you guys are showing some love. I thought I was going to have to draw your attention to Sometimes a Fantasy, no. draw your attention to All for Lena, but you've already covered them. They're very good. Um, on the second side of the album, the only one that I will give a little bit of um, a little bit of love to is I Don't Want to Be Alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about the song that um, is simple. I really like the chorus. Um, it, there's nothing special about the song, but I, I had my uh, iPod on shuffle on a long drive sometime last year, and I hadn't heard this song in a very, very long time. And somehow, the ly- like almost all of the lyrics just came flooding back to me, and I found myself singing along to it. I'm like, why? Why do I know this song so well? Why do I like this song as much as I do? It's unremarkable, I think, uh, on the merits, but I like it. I mentioned you know, there's some new wavy elements to it. Uh, that song reminds me of an Elvis Costello or Joe Jackson tune from around that era too. Uh, from yeah, it has that 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 sort of spiky new wave yeah. vibe. I agree. Yeah. Uh, so next is, is is songs in the attic, and and, and guy wanted to, to tackle this. And to be honest, I haven't heard a lot of songs in the attic. It's Billy Joel resurrecting some of his early tunes. I wanted to mention this though because this is where it, this is where I put it down in my notes. I was reading a piece that Chuck Klosterman had written about Billy Joel back in 2000, I think. And um, this one quote, I think, explains so much about Billy Joel and, and understanding his music and lyrics. He said, being in love has always been the most important thing in my life. That's what Billy Joel told Chuck Klosterman. And so I think when you look at his music and lyrics and so much of what he did through that lens, I mean, his marriages and his ups and his downs, it it makes a little more sense. I mean, he cares deeply about respect. He cares deeply about being loved. At times, he is schmaltzy and hopelessly romantic. At times, he's wounded and heartbroken. And so many Americans and music fans are that way. And, And I think that's why he connects so well to so many people. Is that quote right there? Being in love has always been the most important thing in my life. You know, it's, it's not the music and the awards and the record. It's being in love, and uh, it's a universal uh, feeling for so many people. And with that, I'll hand it over to Guy. Guy, "Songs of the Attic," this uh, this live uh, album from 1981. Yeah, so I just want to comment first about the being in love thing. I think why that is such an insightful point is that so many of the songs that you think of. Uh, when you think of Billy Joel, are sort of, at least on their surface, happy love songs, but there is that undercurrent and sometimes just openly angry and bitter side of the 
angry, jilted, dumped lover, mm-hmm. which is which is part of love. Um, and he and that's something that everyone has also experienced, and he milks the hell out of that side of love <laughs> as well, um, which I which I think you have to if that's going to be your bread and butter. Um, although again, I think what's nice about Billy Joel is that not every song is just about human relationships and love. There are there are biographical uh, songs. There's yeah. he's sort of all over the place, and the things that he chooses to write and sing about. Like for example, Miami 2017 is this this bizarre concept of a song, um, and that is on songs from an ad, from the attic. Uh, this is one of my absolute favorite albums because. The song selection, it is not necessarily a greatest hit. Mm-hmm. You can get greatest hits, uh, you know, volumes one and two, if you want the ones that all went, uh, you know, super popular, top of the charts. Some of those are mixed in uh, to Songs from the Attic, but some of them really are not. There's a, uh, there's like a, a funky, gritty version of Los Angelinos mm-hmm. uh, on on this album. And what I like, the, the one thing I just wanted to point out um, about this album, aside from the song selection being superb and, and a weird, fun, interesting hitting cross-section of, this, of his music, is, and maybe, maybe this is typical of live albums, like, really, I do not listen to a ton of albums, I just don't. Um, so you guys can speak to this more than I can, but what I really enjoy about it is there are clear differences in the sizes of venues that he's playing in some of these songs. So, like, Los Angelinos, it's a small, intimate venue. You can tell. You can hear some of the clapping along when he, when the song is over. The applause is you know, maybe maybe a hundred people is what it sounds like. And then there's the other the other songs in the album. I, I think "Say Goodbye to Hollywood." Don't mm-hmm. quote me on this. I'm driving, so I, I don't have it in front of me. But just it's obvious that it's being played in front of a massive stadium filled with tens of thousands of cheering fans. And I like how it's not just all from one concert series, you know, at, at giant sporting venues. There are some from, from smaller clubs, and it just gives an uneven, in a good way, feel um, throughout the album where you, you don't know what's coming next, and it, each, each twist and turn is sort of charming and unexpected um, and different. So it's, as you said that you were not familiar with the album. I urge you to, to listen to it, because um, it's it's great. It really is a, a fascinating contrast to, to go back and forth between the, the just giant, you know, arena-like sounds of like when he plays. The first song is Miami, uh, 2017. You yep. see the lights go out on Broadway. And that, that's being played, I think, in like the garden or something like that. Turn! 
And then the right, the next song is like he's playing Summer Highland Falls, and it's like in some tiny club underneath a freeway in Washington D.C. And there's like again, there's like 200 people in in the club. I I actually knew about this place back uh, when I was growing up. And um, the, the the contrast between the the venues is really something in terms of you get like a big pounding arena rock song vibe for some of these songs, and then a very quiet intimate one for others. But more notably than that, this is a live album that's just not a nostalgia document, which I respect. Billy Joel actually, you know, you, you think of him as you know the consummate pop hit maker, but he really Really didn't want to do that for this record he put out you know his his greatest obscurities basically is what it was you know everything that wasn't a big hit uh the lone exception of course being captain jack and you know what i think of that song <laughs> um, a pretty rousing performance of a crap song i gotta say um uh, but yeah i mean it's a pretty pretty amazing album and, and i think it's really so much more than just you know the standard live document that you know complete its own but never listened to precisely because the song selection is so interesting uh billy joel would then sort of just get into the studio and write and record this next album called the nylon curtain and all indications and report he wanted to make this the sonic masterpiece uh and it does sound good uh phil ramone is producing once again uh, there are some 80s uh, tinges that begin to work his work their way into his songs. This one didn't sell quite as well as some of the previous albums, but the, you know the, the hits are there. Allentown and Pressure uh, are, are two songs. I, I, I always think I shouldn't like these songs for whatever reason. Allentown's kind of you know this this uh, song about you know the Reagan era where manufacturing's booming out of Allentown, Pennsylvania, and uh, you know. Uh, pressure is is very synth spiked uh, paranoia and stress but you know what it works it works doggone it pressure i love i love pressure uh you know the way the pace kind of picks up as he gets to the uh to the choruses and and even some of the lyrics are on there too you, uh here you are in the ninth two men out three men on you have to handle pressure um Allentown again. I think that's a really cool piano part in in Allentown, and it's one of his best character studies. The lyric that I always it's just always in my mind is that one about you know spent the weekends on the Jersey Shore. That that lyric never escapes my mind ever. It's always there. Um, where's the orchestra toward the back half of the album? Uh, the, using the theater as a metaphor for loneliness and and, and depression. And again, the Klosterman piece, I'll mention one more time. Klosterman says that this is the song he would give to anyone to uh, describe best what it feels like to be depressed, you know, clinically depressed. He thought Billy Joel just absolutely nailed it. As we mentioned before, Billy Joel's career in life is full of these very, very highs and, and very, very lows. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of Beatles influence on this record. Laura sounds extremely Lennon-esque. Um, uh, Scandinavian Skies uh, is, you know, late, uh, well, I guess more like mid uh, Sgt. Pepper kind of era uh, Beatles influence there, too. I think this is, I will say this, I think this is where the songwriting begins to decline for Billy Joel. I think there's some definite weak points on, on Nylon Curtain that aren't as strong as the past few efforts. And I, I don't think he ever quite recovers uh, that that absolute magic he had during the run previous to Nylon Curtain. This is an album, the only album that Billy Joel put out in the 80s where I feel like he conquers the 80s sound, uh, sort of the stylistics that we've come to associate with 80s rock, rather than having it conquer him. 
the An Innocent Man is 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 really not an '80s album, even though it came out after this in 1983 because it's such a throwback. It obviously harkens back to sort of '50s and early '60s rock sounds. But you know, between the Nylon Curtain and the Bridge and Stormfront, you know, the last two of those sound very much of a part and parcel with what we consider to be generic 80s production techniques Mm -hmm. but then you have songs like pressure on the nylon curtain which are as super 80s as they get i mean you could hear some of those synth tones on you know 90125 by yes (laughs) you know you could hear that you could hear pressure following owner of a lonely heart and be like yep same band and it doesn't sound phony or forced. That is a really well-written song. Even that that quasi Phantom of the Opera, um, you know, gothic organ line that 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 runs throughout the song works and is perfectly integrated into the theme of the music, which is of course about like cracking underneath the pressure of expectations, sort of the pressure of the modern era. This is again one of those albums where um, if the first half, if they had put "Where's the Orchestra" on side one, you mm-hmm. could then take away you know let's say substitute out good night saigon put that on side two put where's the orchestra on side one and i would never need to listen to side two again i hate good night saigon i think that is that is billy joel just getting out over his skis trying to write about like here's my song about the vietnam war he's like clearly like he went to the theater he went to the movie theater he watched the deer hunter and said (laughs) i'm gonna write a song about Vietnam, and this is what came out, and it doesn't work. I know it's like it's one of his hits. It's on his greatest hits. I don't like it. I do like Allentown a lot because even if you think that song is defeatist, the melody of it is so beautiful. It's a rock-solid song. It's a song, frankly, you could have seen Bruce Springsteen writing, and people wouldn't have mm-hmm. had a problem with it yeah. if it had come out of Springsteen's mouth. is great i think laura is a beautiful song too um i love where's the orchestra but then again the second half of this album just falls apart in my opinion and i agree with you that it seems like the songwriting isn't quite as good as it was prior to this point allentown is i sort of sometimes go back and forth on favorite billy joel songs it's allentown and only the good guy young i I can't even put my finger on why I love Allentown, but mm. everything about it, even sort of the part of the whiny chorus, I just like. <laughs> it starts with those two long blows of the work whistle, um, and then starts, you know, with the drums get it going, boom, 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 and then it begins uh, the sort of the melody, and it's workmanlike, and it's telling this story, and it's a sad story, sort of, but it's an American story. Um, I think it's I think it's great. Um, a quick note on Goodnight Saigon, I've never liked this song very much, but a, a lot of my experience and, and sort of visceral thoughts about Billy Joel uh, flow from my concert experiences. I've seen him in concert four times, and one thing that he does that is cool when he plays Goodnight Saigon, he brings Vietnam vets onto the stage, and I think the way that society sort of on those guys um, back in the day was not fair. 
and to, to and they they always get a sort of a rousing ovation, and you can see that they are moved by it. So there is something to that that I have to like and respect, even if I don't love the song. Um, and then, yeah, pressure is again going back to the concert experience. The lighting effect that they that mm. they use for that song is very cool. It's perfect, and it it does sort of increase your 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 pulse rate and your blood pressure listening to it because it it ramps up the pressure even if you're just mm-hmm. at a concert drinking beer having fun the very nature of it it maybe it's tautological because it's the name of the song but it 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 says pressure and it oozes pressure and i love uh the baseball lyrics so here we are in the ninth two men out and three men on nowhere to look but inside and you'll have to handle pressure, and then it's the whole chorus again. Exactly, it's so good. And ba- to me, like baseball is such a pressure-filled sport where every pitch counts. And and this song just sort of puts me back in places where I'm I'm barely able to watch the screen or co- uncover my eyes, waiting for that next pitch. Um, so anyway, he he covers various aspects of pressure in people's lives and the, the baseball part of it spoke to me i'm sure you'll have some cosmic The nylon curtain. Whenever I hear the name of the album, my head just says, just instantaneously, Allentown. That is the Allentown album. That's what the album is about. I don't care if the rest of it's crap. Allentown's on it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, for the next album, Billy Joel uh, goes forward into 1983, but accidentally steps into the Back to the Future time warp and ends up into the Enchantment Under the Sea ball at the end of Back to the Future. <laughs> And right up there with Marty McFly, because what is he doing? It's an entire album full of uh, 50s and early 60s rock and soul and doo-wop throwback songs. And you would think that this would be a disastrous move, like like Neil Young doing Everybody's Rockin' around the exact same time. <laughs> Boy, if you're not familiar with that album, I, I, I tell you, do not familiarize yourself with that album. It's terrible. Uh, Billy Joel's was infinitely more successful. This, in fact was, to my mind, the most ubiquitous Billy Joel album of them all. Yeah. There are three songs on this, five songs, actually, that are just everywhere, that everybody has heard, that everybody knows. You, if you know a thing about Billy Joel, you have heard Tell Her About It. You have heard The Longest Time. And by God, you have definitely heard Uptown Girl. You've probably heard An Innocent Man, too. These are great songs big pop hits and yet there's something about this record that 
I don't know. Some of the songs, these melodies are great. The only one that really sticks with me, I think, okay, I, I'm a sucker for, for acapella. I'm a singer. <laughs> I'm a sucker for, tel, uh, for uh, the longest time, which is basically almost all just acoustic. You know, there's, there's a little bass in there, yeah. but it's basically just like, you know, seven voices doing doo-wop, you know, soul harmonies. Sounds great. I had second thoughts at the start. But the one that really stays with me is Uptown Girl, uh, which may be a Frankie Valley ripoff, but I don't care. Uh, everything about that song defined my childhood. It's a just, again, in the middle late when he goes, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that little chord progression is subtle. It's so well thought out. You can see him sitting at the piano thinking about, okay, where does my left hand move? Where does my right hand move? He came up with such a great series of chords on that. The lyric is great. And the video, of course, with Christy Brinkley is kind of one of those iconic MTV videos that every guy of a certain age remembers and says, hey, maybe I'm going to get my Uptown Girl someday. You know, it was one of those little like dream <laughs> fantasy songs that I love. And yet I feel like the rest of this album, despite the fact that it was such a massive hit, has not aged as well for me as his earlier work. Yeah, I think this is the kind of album where you either have to nail it or it becomes, uh, oh, yeah, that's kind of a nice imitation of the thing that was really great. Well, at that time, you know, 20 years ago, that's actually better, right? You either have to knock it out of the park or you kind of just get into this area of, you know, emulating the things you love. And so I think that's what brings it down a little bit. I think there are three tracks to me that are that are home runs. Uh, Tell Her About It, which is the kind of the Supremes Temptations tribute, is a tremendous song with a great video. If we're talking videos, Rodney Dangerfield and uh, what was the name of the, uh, BJ and the Affordables, I think was the name of the fake Billy Joel band in that video. Uh, and and yeah, Ed Sullivan, uh, well, fake Ed Sullivan bringing them on to, to play the song. It's a great song with this a wonderful chorus with the soaring horn section. I think he nails Tell Her About It. I think Leave a Tender Moment Alone works really well. I always think it's Stevie Wonder playing harmonica, and it's not. But that's what it sounds. It sounds like a Stevie Wonder harmonica part. Uh, Smokey Robinson influence, a slow burner. Just, uh, you know, if you if you have this wonderful moment, don't say anything. Don't ruin it with a joke. Just leave a tender moment alone. It's very sweet. And I must say, one of my f- favorite Billy Joel songs of all and I think by far the best song on this album is the album Closer, which is Keeping the Faith. I think Keeping the Faith is tremendous. You have this album full of nostalgia and, and kind of looking backward. And then Keeping the Faith closes things up with a, a song about not being nostalgic and not necessarily looking backwards. Uh, you know, uh, you get to the bridge and, and it's I think it's one of his finest uh, lyrics. Uh, you can... You can get just so much from a good thing. You can linger too long in your dreams. 
And then the good old days weren't always good. Tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. It's a great way to cap this this you know, nine songs of looking back with keeping the faith, which is more looking forward. And things are going to be all right. And the song itself this is kind of a herky-jerky beat. Horns, of course, there's horns all over the album. And the way Billy Joel holds that note just as he goes into the, into the chorus is, tr- I, I love that. That gets me every time. I mean, literally, like, chills up my spine every time you get to the chorus part and Billy Joel holds that one note just before the chorus and then tells us, keep in the faith. Hey, I thought I was the Duke of Earl when I made it with a red-haired girl in the Chevrolet. Oh, yeah. We were keeping the I think it's one of his best songs from a lyrical standpoint. I think it's one of his best songs from a musical standpoint. And I think it's the best song by far on, a, on An Innocent Man. I really I have two songs. You've both covered them already that I love. Uh, the first is The Longest Time, which if you've ever gone, even as a favor to a friend, to an acapella concert in college, uh, you're going to hear this song uh, at some point. And it's, and it's fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember hearing that Billy Joel on the on the studio album performs every vocal yes. part himself. Yep. Um, so obviously when he performs it in concert, they, they have to have backup singers. But on the original album, I wasn't sure if that was fake news, but I was going to just throw it out there and see if the internet would fact check me. But I, I did read that <laughs> somewhere. Um, and I, I, like, I like that sort of doo-wop old school feeling where, um, where, the, where the main... The main lyrics are being sung, and the backup singers are going, bum, 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 ooh, up, ooh, up. That's, I, I'm not getting the exact, uh, exact uh, melody there, right? Um, and then, and then Uptown Girl is just such a, such a feel-good, upbeat, fun song. And you already talked about the, the most fun part of it to sing. Like, even if you're one of these people at the concert, you can't really sing that well. You cannot help but try to sing along that whole part is it, it makes you feel like you can sing even if you can't and I appreciate that charity from Billy to the rest of us um, so <laughs> it's, it's a song that's a total crowd pleaser uh, it comes on and I don't care I don't care how old so having gone to these concerts um, I'm surprised at the diversity of age in the crowd it's not just people who were listening to his music when it was popular. There's a lot of younger people in the crowd uh, as well. And this this one, inevitably, without fail, is you know, just gets a huge cheer when those first few beats, those first few beats of the drums start. They're unmistakable. You know what's coming. Um, one thing that was funny, last thought on this was, watching, I think, a live performance of Uptown Girl contemporaneously from the 80s on YouTube, (laughs) where they were, like, really rocking hard and sweating profusely playing this song. I'm like, oh, that's weird. That is weird 
that is weird that this was like a giant like rock hit at some point. Um, it seems more like fun and throwback, but in that in that video, you can tell they are fancying themselves very hot, <laughs> and frankly, they're getting giant crowds <laughs> going nuts for it. So I guess they were. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The, the drum sound on Uptown Girl is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so right good. from the beginning, it just carries the whole thing along on its back. Uh, at this time, Greatest Hits 1 and 2 released. Uh, it would sell a billion copies. One of the best-selling albums of all time. A uh, single from that, Second Wind, uh, uh, did very well for Billy Joel. And then we get to... I, I, I want to group these together, and you guys can, can take them apart if, if you want. But to me, the bridge and Stormfront are two really big misses uh, in the career of Billy Joel. The bridge sounds terribly dated at this point. This process to, to uh, guitars, hollow synthesizers. Phil Ramone is gone at this point. His last album with Billy Joel was uh, Innocent Man. And, man, the songs here, this is the time has that chorus that I think everyone has heard in some sort of compilation video at some point, but the verses aren't all that strong. Uh, a Matter of Trust, which I know Jeff likes, uh, has a strong guitar riff. I call it Yes Guitar, because if you listen to A Matter of Trust, it sounds like the same guitar tone from Owner of a Lonely Heart. Yeah, it's very Trevor Rabin. Yeah. yeah. and um, But I don't think it ever goes anywhere. Uh, Modern Woman from the great movie Ruthless People, um, it sounds very 1985, 86. It, it, it sounds, listen, listen, the song takes its biggest cues from Huey Lewis and the news, and that's all you need to know about the problems with Modern Woman. I, I think, mean, yeah, I, I think the best, best songs on the bridge are the ones where he gets help. Uh, Cindy Lauper is on Code of Silence, and you think that would sound dated based on the fact Cindy Lauper is on it, but it's not bad. And getting closer, the album Closer has Steve Winwood playing on it, and I think that's actually a pretty decent song, too. And then, and then quickly on, on, on the Stormfront, Mick Jones from Foreigner produces this. Man, uh, bassy, loud, that's not her style. The first track has this cavernous drum sound. It's one of the first things you hear on the album. And it's right out of a, like a hair metal playbook, which, I mean, Mick Jones is producing. I think this is perhaps his worst set of songs in his career. There's not a lot here. I, I, and So It Goes uh, is a song written about a relationship he had with Elle McPherson where he knew, knew it was doomed from the start, basically. Um, it's a really good song. It, it almost reminds you of, in a, in a good way, of a, of a funeral dirge. I mean, it has that sort of pace to yeah. it. Uh, and So It Goes and So Will You Soon, I Suppose. I mean, it's a very sad song. And every time I've held a rose It seems I only felt the thorns And so it goes And so it goes And so will you 
Um, I think it's the best part of, of, of Stormfront. I Go to Extremes has a pretty neat chord change in the chorus, which kind of saves it from being awful. But to me, guys, these two albums, I, I just loop them together because there's not a lot that I want to salvage from it, uh, from either of them. Listen, I, I will say Baby Grand from uh, The Bridge is a magnificent song. And, you know, it, it still it sounds a little bit too 80s for my taste. But when you put Billy Joel up against Ray Charles and Billy Joel manages to not embarrass himself, but actually, you know, it's a slugfest that ends up working out beautifully for the both of them. That's a huge accomplishment. That's a great song. Uh, there are other songs that I remember liking when I was a kid. I remember always liking This Is The Time. Um, and A Matter of Trust, I do still like. And then you go back and you listen to them. And I agree with you. Even A Matter of Trust feels thin. I somehow, like, I remember it in my mind, that middle section. You know, you can't go the distance with too <laughs> yes. much resistance. Yeah. I remember it being, like, sort of heavier and more powerful in my head than it, it was when I went back and I revisited it recently. And I got to say that must be uh, the function of sort of the, the, the production sounds not living up to what – they could have been. The funny thing about Stormfront is that this, of course, is one of his biggest albums. Yeah. Let's 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 not kid ourselves. We didn't start the fire. Was the album that a uh, hundred million high school kids and middle school kids had fed to them as a, an assignment in <laughs> class, and and everybody watched. I remember taping Billy Joel's Saturday Night Live appearance and watching his performance of "We Didn't Start the Fire" back in 1989. I'm I am only mildly ashamed of that. I really still kind of have a soft spot in my heart for that song, even though I know that it's right up there with "We Built This City" in terms of regrettable artifacts from the 1980s that we are supposed to forget that the American you know, the American music listener loved and mass. Um, I feel like I can talk about I Go to Extremes less ironically. I think that's a good song. It's a really good song. It's a well-written song. I know it's just as big and stadium rockish as they get, but uh, every part of that works. The verse works, the chorus works, even the middle eight works. I think it's a great song despite its um, sort of, you know, the attributes of, you know, overproduced 80s rock that, uh, you know, that attached to it. Uh, but I do agree with you uh, about the rest of most of these albums. Man, uh, the, the late 80s and the late 80s production ticks that were basically blown away by the early 90s grunge movement did not do Billy Joel any favors at all. I don't mind uh, This Is The Time. It's it's a little saccharine. It's, it's a little thin, but I, I don't mind it. Um yeah, looking at looking at Stormfront, I really like I Go to Extremes. I agree that that is a a genuinely good song that I enjoy listening to. Sometimes I'm tired, sometimes I'm shocked. I've always liked the song Stormfront. I don't exactly know why, 
Um, <laughs> but I just have, I like the very beginning of it, the weird, sort of the weird sound effect to start the song. It's just, I've, I've, I've always enjoyed it. Um, and then We Didn't Start the Fire, you know, it's one of those songs where you're a kid and you're trying to memorize all of it. Uh, I remember in high school, a kid did a, a video editing presentation where he got an image of every lyric and edited it together into huh. this rapid fire thing. And, um, and it was kind of cool. And there was stuff about it that I, I didn't know what it was. And I learned something from that video montage that he made. And I'm like, now what, like, what, what the hell is that? And I had to go back and, you know, sort of look it up. And, um, that was fun. But, you know, it's not, it's not a, a, a well-written song. You know, the chorus is, very repetitive. There's, there's not much to it, but I don't know. They, they play it at every concert because everyone loves it. And I don't, I'm not ashamed. Like when, when that sort of draft of the, like the backdraft sound effect uh, <laughs> plays in, inside the stadium and you know what's coming, you're, you're excited because it's a hit and he's going to sing, um, you know, all about British politician sex, all of it. Um, and you're going to, you're going to, Try to sing along as best you can patch it together. I, you know, it's not great, but I, I'm not going to hate on it the way so many people do. So one more album, and I have no idea if, if Billy Joel knew it at the time. It seems based on some of the songs he did. This might be his last album of pop music ever. Uh, but a four-year break, I think, from Stormfront to River of Dreams in uh, 1993. And I will say, as much as I dislike Stormfront and The Bridge... I think there is a bit of a uh, revival of sorts, or at least a bounce back to uh, to the songwriting on River of Dreams. It's not start to finish a knockout blow. It's not uh, it's not classic Billy Joel, but I think there are some really good songs here. Uh, no Man's Land, which is the first track, also the first song ever played on David Letterman's CBS Late Show, trivia buffs out there. Uh, it's kind of almost a follow-up to Allentown, and I don't know if I have a soft spot for tales of economic malaise, but I, I, I like No Man's Land, an electric piano, funky, uh, with, a, with a rock track to it. All About Soul, I remember, it would have been, I guess, 13 or 14, when I heard All About Soul, and the lyrics, you know, Billy Joel doesn't get a ton of credit for his lyrics, and sometimes deserve, but I think the, the lyrics for All About Soul, I remember listening to it as a 13 or 14-year-old, and actually getting it, like, it's not just, uh, you know, about you, you love someone. There's more to it. You know, there's this dedication and loyalty to a relationship. And there's, you know, it's not just love. There's, there's, there's this deeper emotion, as Billy Joel says in All About Soul. And I think it's a pretty darn good song and a pretty strong set of lyrics. It goes a bit long. It's six minutes. And I ask her how she knew to reach out for me at that moment. And she smiles because... It's understood There are no words to say It's all about soul It's all about knowing what someone is feeling The woman's got soul The power of love and the power of healing This life isn't fair It's gonna
And uh, by the way, Color Me Bad does backing vocals in All About Soul. I'm not docking points for that, but maybe I should. Uh, toward the uh, toward the end, who could, who could forget the great hit of the early '90s? I want to sex you right. up. <laughs> Everybody, until sure. we just brought it up once again. Uh, some again, the themes of trust and betrayal oh. in in here. And uh, by the way, go ahead. By the way, I just I, I wanted to jump in because I realized I, I failed uh, a moment ago to mount my defense of Huey Lewis in the news <laughs> um, because I heard. I heard a shot taken at them, and I'm not a connoisseur of their music, but I love Hip to Be a Square. I oh, no. And, and I don't care what you have to say about that. So we're, we're almost at the end of the podcast anyway. We're going to have a big fight about this because <laughs> I, my first concert ever was Huey Lewis and the News, and I am, a, I am a Huey Lewis and the News aficionado. I know every song they have ever recorded. Jeff holds them in contempt. As you- I will say, I, I, listen, I hate Huey Lewis in the news, but I will say that even I love the song Power of Love. I can't help that. That's so, a great song. I am looking forward to the day of a Political Beats podcast with a giant Huey Lewis fan. We'll see if we can drag Jeff along for the ride. Um, uh, Lullaby on River of Dreams is also a, a great song. His, his daughter, I've heard this story told uh, a couple of times. His, story, his daughter asked him what happens when you die. And uh, Billy Joel tried to describe it to her. He thought that uh, when you die, uh, pieces of you belong to your loved ones in their hearts, and so you never go away. You always carry on, and that's what he wrote a lullaby about. And then the last song of the album, I don't think Jeff likes Famous Lat's words a lot, but I think it's a pretty good track. It's, again, not classic by any stretch of the uh, imagination. I think River of Dreams features perhaps his best lyrics of these last three albums and is a decent, if not exemplary, way to say goodbye. I will say about River of Dreams that, yes, I think it's an improvement over Stormfront, but I don't particularly love it. Even a song like River of Dreams, the title track, which is, if you drill down to that song, it's a pretty dang well-written song. All right, it's pretty catchy melody, pretty catchy song. I remember, ironically enough, this is my first, the first Billy Joel album that I bought, of all things, was the last Billy Joel album he ever released. I, of course, my dad had greatest hits, and you know we'd we'd gotten the other ones out of the library, like Innocent Man and uh, Stormfront and all that. But this is the first one I was like, "Wow, I gotta have this." And, and again, there were songs that I remember liking a lot as a kid and hearing played on the radio that I come back to now, and I don't have much time for, like All About Soul, which was the big radio hit on the album uh, that just does not seem to have aged very well for me, but. There is one thing I will say on this album and one thing that justifies the existence of this album, which is one of Billy Joel's five best songs. Boy, I there are times when I could say that if you if you squint and you look the right way, you could argue this may be his best album, uh, best song, and that is Lullaby. I think Lullaby is one of the most beautiful things he's ever written. It's one of the most um, thoughtful song lyrics that he ever came up with in, in dealing with an incredibly tough subject, singing it to a child to like you, you, your beautiful daughter who doesn't understand death and doesn't understand loss, pain and suffering and what it means to, to, to you know, have to deal with the sudden absence of a loved one and, and explaining it in a way that doesn't feel trite, it doesn't feel uh, you know, sappy, it, it doesn't feel – it could have gone wrong in so many different ways and yet it doesn't. It is one of the most perfectly balanced uh, piano melodies and productions and lyrical performances – of Billy Joel's career, and the thing that bothers me the most is that for some reason he didn't end the album with this song. This should have been the last song on River of Dreams. This should have been the last song of his songwriting career, 
And the fool put it like as the opening track on side <laughs> two instead of ending the album with it, which would have been the most perfect way for Billy Joel's career to end. But yes, Lullaby is one of those things that, that will transcend every half-assed attempt at singing it or playing it that every person who's ever been able to even roughly wield a piano has done, including myself. It will live on. Uh, just as the lyric of the song goes, mm-hmm. you know, it will never die. It will live on long after uh, Billy Joel himself has passed away. It is uh, a really majestic accomplishment. And I'm just grateful that this album exists simply because I'm grateful that that song exists. I'm glad that you said all that about Lullaby because that song deserves its due uh, that you just gave it. The one other note I would just uh, filter into this conversation about River of Dreams, again, calling back to my concert-going experience, one thing that he's been doing, at least in, in the last number of years, is he plays River of Dreams, and whenever he starts playing it, I get excited, not because I particularly love River of Dreams itself, it's fine, but he does this thing where midway through the song, um... They sort of hit, they hit a note and they stop dead in their tracks. The entire <laughs> performance of the song stops. Mm-hmm. And then he, co- then he covers some other artist's random song, uh, always a very, a very popular song from another. I think I've seen him uh, cover the band Chicago. I've, just, I've seen a variety, and you never know what's going to come. You don't know what he's going to sing. You don't know which group he's going to cover but it's always a treat to sort of look forward to. And then they usually get to a key dramatic pause type moment in whatever that other (laughs) song is. And then seamlessly it comes, boom, in the middle of the night, and they just pick it up and finish the song. Um, And that's just sort of like a a little hidden, uh, like like an Easter egg for fans (laughs) who go to the concert to know that something is coming and it's going to be cool and it's not going to be totally predictable or expected. Uh, so that, that's my one comment uh, on this album. And then, of course, I assume we're going to get into great depth and detail on Fantasies and Delusions. <laughs> <laughs> I've never listened to it. I won't be honest with you. His, so. I, I, uh, his, his classical album that he put out, I think, in the, in the 2000s, right? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I, I think it was. And I, I bought it out of obligation. <laughs> like, is it I any good guy? You want to tell yeah, guy. You give us the I, review. I have. I have nothing. I have. I, I'm sort of a. If I'm going to listen to some classic classical music, it's going to be Bach, and you know, Billy Joel is is not Bach, and so <laughs> it's, it's fine. I do. I do sometimes wonder, and maybe this is my sort of my final thought on Billy Joel's songwriting in his catalog, uh, and it goes coming full circle back to, you know, where I grew up and Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen was able to produce new relevant music, you know, fairly recently. Like, you know, I think of The Rising um, and and what an incredible, in in my view, what an incredibly fun, good album that was. Um, And I can't even name all the songs on it that I, that I enjoyed, but that's an, that's a, I went out and I got that album. I listened to it expecting it to be sort of like, oh, well, he's trying again, and genuinely liking a number of those songs. And I, I don't know, there's just a little part of me that wonders and hopes that if Billy Joel might just somewhere squirreled away, 
uh, in Long Island, he's got one more hit single or two in that rattling around in that brain of his because he's 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 such a talent and he's and he does have a knack for catchy songs and he produced all these hits. Um, I know that there's the risk of you know going out on a pop music flop and you know he's what his audience loves at these concerts is that he doesn't he doesn't try to play right. stuff that people don't want to hear. He's got enough hits that he can play all the hits and that's what that's what the people want and and he serves that up. Uh, in heaping portions, and that's what we want. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm enough of a fan that you know, if the boss, if the boss can get it done uh, in his, I guess his 60s at the time with new stuff that was good. Uh, I just wonder if Billy Joel might have that same capacity, and if he'll ever grace us with that. But I'm not. I'm not holding my breath, <laughs> but I'm keeping fingers crossed. Politic, political beats. Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, Guy Benson talking about. Billy Joel. And uh, we come to the point of the episode in which we, uh, we, we advise our listeners to two key albums from the uh, artists you, you should own and five key tracks that you must hear. And we begin each time with our guests, Guy Benson. Your list, please. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a tough one for me um, for a couple of reasons. But I would, I would say... Um, for me, Songs from the Attic, because it is such a weird amalgam of underappreciated songs uh, performed live, I think I've, I've sprinkled my love for that album throughout our conversation here, and I think people should go and listen to it. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's tough for me to not say Turnstiles. I love Turnstiles. I love everything about Turnstiles. Um, so that's, that's right there. Um, and then in terms of songs that I would recommend um, people listening to, you know, it's, I, I want to just sort of name my favorite songs that I, that I always enjoy <laughs> um, putting on, but I, I think sometimes you do want to check out some of the underappreciated ones um, because everyone knows the big hits because, he, because he's Billy Joel. Um, so I would definitely say Summer Highland Falls. I would definitely say Vienna. child and take the phone off the hook and disappear for a while it's all right you can't afford to lose a day or two Ooh. when will you realize vienna waits for you and you know that when the truth is told that you can get what you want or you can just get old you're gonna I would definitely say Miami 2017. Um, even if you're not someone who enjoys New York, you're not from New York, I do think New York State of Mind does something for my soul that is special, um, that, that makes me feel like I'm closer to home or home. Uh, so that would be up there. I've already I've mentioned my favorite, so I, I'm not going to go back... Um, go back into those and then just because of the the personal special connection to it and then just the out of control talent uh on the piano the prelude to angry young man is something that having the ability to actually see him 
perform it live and watch hands move that fast mm. um, is a really, really special sight to behold. So I'm going a little bit, because Billy, as the kids say, um, Billy Joel has the bad rap of sort of being basic. Uh, you know, basic people like Billy Joel, and, you know, if that's, if that's the charge against me, then I plead guilty, I don't care. <laughs> but there are some songs, you know, that are not Uptown Girl, that are not Piano Man, uh, you know, that are not Moving Out, that are a bit off the beaten path, that are really, really good and showcase um, his talent, and so I commend those to you. Good list from Guy Benson. I will tell you the uh, the two albums, uh, The Stranger, uh, it's a glorified greatest hits collection when you get down to it, but it, it's 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 well deserved. Move it out, stranger, just the way you are. Vienna, only the good die young, uh, and others. The stranger is from front to back, perhaps his most consistent album. And the second one, I went back and forth a bit, and I think I, I I'll, I'll tell you, Glass Houses. It is uh, the sound of Billy Joel being a, a little harder edged. The songs are still extremely high quality. Um, the first half, as Jeff pointed out, is far better than the second half, but I think it gives you a good glimpse of, of, of the two sides of, of Billy Joel. The, uh, the songs, scenes from an Italian restaurant, I cannot not recommend that one. Seven minutes, 37 seconds, a couple of different songs in one song, uh, kind of like Band on the Run, I suppose. Uh, but it, it shows off Billy Joel's talents, I think, from start to finish. Keeping the Faith from an Innocent Man is just... It's my favorite song from the album, and as, uh, as evidenced by it being in the list, one of my favorite songs of Billy Joel's. I, I talked about it at length during that portion of the, of the show. I'll throw my life on there, as Jeff pointed out, too. It's just such a perfect piece of pop songwriting from that time and era. Um, you May Be Right from Glass Houses, and um, I'll take one that Guy did as well, which is Summer Highland Falls. We're going back to hear what Billy Joel was like at the start of his career. Those first three albums, I think Summer Heaven Falls is the is the high point of that output. Jeff? I think it's actually pretty interesting. We've all come up with different songs, different choices for our songs, which is, again, uh, probably a pretty strong tribute to Billy Joel. For my albums, though, I will say, ultimately, I, I agree with you. you got to go with The Stranger because, yeah, glorified greatest hits compilation or not, it's a great album. Uh, there's maybe one or two tracks on it that are less than uh, standards. And uh, if for some reason you haven't heard it, uh, you're not going to go wrong with this record. You're going to love it. The other one, of course, is his immediate follow-up to that, uh, 52nd Street. This is my favorite Billy Joel album. I think this is the album where he decided to become a – he really honed his talent as a pop songwriter. And he managed to, you know, not only write, you know, these sprawling and beautiful piano ballads and sort of work in that early Elton John style, but he also, you know, he got in touch with his inner McCartney. And, and you see it on a lot of the songs on 52nd Street, Glass Houses, and then from that point onwards. As for my five songs, uh, the first one is uh, I would choose to Say Goodbye to Hollywood. Mm. It's the opening song off of Turnstiles. Uh, Turnstiles is a really great record, really underrated record, and I think Say Goodbye to Hollywood is a, is a really good kind of uh, you know four minute long encapsulation of everything that album offers. It's his kiss off to Los Angeles. He's going back to New York. He's doing it in you know the form of the classic you know Ronettes "Be My Baby" kind of a style. It's irresistible. Uh, my second song would be Big Shot, uh, the opening song from 52nd Street. Uh, I, I'm sorry if you if you can't laugh when you hear Billy Joel saying, because you had to be a big shot. 
Dincha, then you know what? You know, you're doing rock music wrong. This is a fun song, an incredibly funny lyric, and it's 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 Joel with his attitude, his New York City attitude, amped up all the way to eleven. It's him as his snottiest, and I think that means that it's almost him as his best. <laughs> uh, my third song would be the um, the uh, concluding song, really the concluding song off of Fifty Second Street until the night. It's his big Righteous Brothers and Phil Spector tribute. We'll Say Goodbye to Hollywood was another Spector tribute. This is a Spector tribute in a slightly different way. I think this is his most underrated album track. I think this is the one that sort of, you know, you know, you know proves that uh, this guy was a lot more than just the hit songs that you've heard of. Speaking of hit songs, one I absolutely adore is Don't Ask Me Why off of Glass Houses. I talked already about how I think that chord progression is positively inspired. Um, uh, my last song that I'll choose is the one that I just got done talking about, Lullaby, Good Night, My Angel. And in my God, you know, in some ways, I could even make an argument this is his finest song. It's very uncharacteristic. It's just him at a piano. There's a very delicate and tasteful string section in the background, but it's really just about Billy Joel sitting alone on a piano writing a song for his seven-year-old daughter. Um, that is normally a recipe for cloying disaster. What he came up with in Lullaby is a song that I think will live for generations and uh, I think it is one of his finest achievements. And uh, uh, again, it's one of those songs where I just say to you, if you listen to this and for some reason you don't know it, please go hear it. Go listen to it late at night, thinking about the ones that you love and thinking about what you would say to them in that context. And you'll find that Billy Joel probably did a better job of summarizing it than, uh, than you or I will ever be able to do. Good night, my angel. Now it's time to dream. And dream how wonderful your life will be Someday your child may cry And if you sing this lullaby Then in your heart there will always be a part of me Someday we'll all be gone, but lullabies go on and on. They never die, that's how you and I will be. There we go, the Political Beats look at the career of Billy Joel. We thank our guest, Guy Benson, political editor at townhall.com, Fox News contributor, co-author of End of Discussion. Follow him on Twitter at Guy P. Benson. Guy, thank you so much for taking the time to share your passion for Billy Joel with us. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Jeff, wonderful show, as always, as we pat ourselves on the back. Let's do it again next week. Yeah, let's do the Sex Pistols or the Slits or <laughs> the Fall or something like that, you know. Uh, yeah, I'll see you next week. Check <laughs> us out on uh, Twitter at political underscore beats. Subscribe for new episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or nationalreview.com. Listen, uh, love, and leave reviews. This has been a presentation of National Review. This has been Political Beats. <laughs>